even if the church is not 100% doctrinally sound, there are believers in those churches. And I have met them over the years and seen the, the profound abundance of God in saving people in so many places. Stories stir the soul. Stories reveal. And stories heal. In this podcast, we will give you an inside look at someone who's had a life-changing breakthrough. Real people, real stories with real breakthroughs. As a health and wellness expert and coach and Todd as a men's mentor, we've seen firsthand what God can do when it comes to a breakthrough. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm Wendy Pett. I'm Todd Isberner. And we are excited to spend this time with you here today. This podcast is part of the Spark Media Network and it can be found on the Edify app, Pray.com, KHCB, Uplifted Streaming, and more. So wherever you're tuning in, we appreciate you tuning in. So yeah. Wendy, um, I'm excited about today's guest because we're going to have our, our, our eyes opened and our and our hearts expanded and our understanding of some very key things in relationship with God. I think all of that is going to occur during this interview. Uh, but I want to ask you first, do, do you think there are some people who consider you to be a religious person? I do actually. Yeah. And, but it, it may so why be, is <laughs> but it depends on what area, like, oh, okay. she's really religious with taking good care of her health or ah. she's religious with her devotional time, or she is just religious with her spiritual yeah. uh, walk. And maybe that's just how they perceive it. I think there are people you know? who really do believe that to be, um, to be sort of religious means that you are going to have a good relationship with God and get to heaven someday. Right. And uh, I, I sort of, I cringe when somebody says to me, you seem to be such a religious person. You're like, oh. you know, if I'm talking about God, <laughs> and go, oh no, really, it's, it's the big difference between being religious and having an actual relationship. Absolutely. And, uh, in the church today, there are many, many people who are missing out on the true essence of what a relationship with Jesus could be all about because they're still doing their religion thing. Well, that's so true. And we're actually in the middle of doing a Bible study at church and it's uh, Galatians and James and um, yeah, faith versus um, works. Yes. So we've got a fascinating guest today. Yes, we do. And uh, let's talk about her. Okay, let's talk about her. So today's guest is Dr. Karen Y. Wilson-Starks, and she is the president and CEO of Trans Leadership, Inc. Now, she is the concierge advisor to faith-based executives in secular corporations who want to create a powerful leadership legacy, which is amazing if you really think about that. Um, With more than 30 years of business experience, she is known for um, being positive leadership for positive business results. Yeah, Dr. Karen is also the uh, the host of the Voice of Leadership podcast, and uh, Wait, you're I, on- I had, I've had a chance to be a guest <laughs> on her show. She did an amazing job and uh, just so full of wisdom. Great podcast. Uh, she's also um, the uh, Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership TV show, the host of that, and uh, author of Lead Yourself First, The Senior Leader's Guide to Greater Performance and Impact. Uh, she's worked uh, nationally and globally with corporate, government, U.S. military, and nonprofit leaders in major foundations. Yeah, and in her earlier stages of her career, she also served as senior faculty for the senior uh, for the Center for Creative Leadership 
and as an active duty U.S. Army officer and psychologist. I'm telling you, she is one smart cookie. I almost and feel like she we need to salute. beauty too. What do you Dr. mean you Karen. almost feel like? Come on. I think we should. <laughs> Welcome to your biggest breakthrough, Dr. Karen. Come on in. Thank you so much. What a delight to be here. And I love the fun way you did the introduction. <laughs> well, well, it's going to be because we know we're going to dig down into some pretty good, sincere and serious stuff as, yes, uh, as we talk about your story. And, you know, the, just in reading your bio um, and getting to know you a little bit, we really could spend this entire episode just on sort of unpacking the secret ingredients to great leadership, because this is what God has gifted you in and you have experience in and you've had a tremendous impact. Mm -hmm. And maybe on another episode, someday we're going to do that. But I think today we want to move over more and focus on something that you brought to our attention. And we and we really appreciate the way in which you would like to talk about this, because if I can put it in your words, this is going to be your journey from pharisaical law-based Christian religion to true freedom in Christ. You know, that in in and of itself makes me just want to take a big, deep breath of fresh air because that that's a big contrast. But we want to go back to the beginning of your story first and just maybe find out a little bit about how did all this get started? Because we want to find out what happened in your life that that God used to make you who you are today so that you can do what you do. But this story is uh, is so important because so many of our listeners struggle with trying to understand the difference between religion and relationship. And might be trapped in it themselves. Yeah. Wanting this freedom that you're mm -hmm. talking about in Christ. But let's go back to the beginning of your, talk a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing and some of the experiences that happened in your childhood that helped shape who you are today. Excellent. And thank you so much for being interested in the beginning because it starts there. I'm the oldest of four children, and we were raised in a non-denominational church. And the church was very, I'd say, law-based or rule-based. And I didn't know anything else other than that because that's what I was raised in. And so along the way, and when I was young as a child, I always had a heart for God and I I decided, yes, I would like to be baptized in the church and, and be a deeper part of this. And so I thought that I had this magical notion that once I was baptized into the church and I became a Christian, as we said, that all challenges related to <laughs> doing the right thing would resolve because the Holy Spirit would be there and I would be enabled to do the right thing. And I'll tell you, I think it was about maybe a week after that, if not the same day, I can't remember, but it was on a Sunday and my relatives came down from New York and they were telling some stories that were true about some things that happened with me in New York. And I didn't quite want those stories to be out in the <laughs> public. So right away, I immediately said, no, that didn't happen. Oh. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. And because of the background that I was in, I sort of felt like, oh, the clean slate is now marred. It, it felt like there was not a pathway back is what mm. it felt like. Mm. I think that I didn't have a true understanding of 1 John 1, 8, 9, you know, that you know, God has covered all these sins. He's made provision and therefore, he's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess. So it was almost like you better time when you decide to become a Christian because you want to make sure you can live perfectly after that. 
Because if you don't, <laughs> that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Well, good luck for anyone on that one. <laughs> it doesn't work. So doesn't. it was not really good news. I mean, that's not good news at all, even though we were told this is the good news. This is the gospel. So mm. it kind of started there a little bit. And how, how old were you at that time when you started to wonder? Well, around eight years old. Okay. To that effect. And okay. so sort of being, being busted and facing the reality that you weren't going to be perfect, actually started to push you a little bit backwards rather than forwards towards God and asking for forgiveness. Well, I didn't really understand the forgiveness part of post-acceptance of Christ. I understood the forgiveness in becoming a Christian because that was hammered a lot in our church and it was talked about every week. I think our church focused more on what I would call evangelism as opposed to discipleship in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so there, there was a perfunctory practice that people would engage in if they sinned in some way. You would come before the church and there was some words you would say. And part of those words were, I, brothers and sisters, I have sinned and I repent of my sins and I ask for the prayers of the church. And some people when they came forward with that, they'd come up, they'd be popping, chewing gum and doing this. It, it, there was no serious mentality in it. And it wasn't until I was in college that I saw people really come to God in repentance. And I was like, oh, this is a whole different deal. And I said to myself, I went back to my home church and I talked to the minister and I said, you know, people are coming before the church and they're supposedly repenting. But I don't think there's a seriousness with how people are doing this. Because what I would say today, there was like a ritualistic formula that mm. people were following. And it, it didn't really, and, and, and about all kinds of things. If I missed church on a Sunday, you were supposed to go before the church and say these words. And so it didn't have the power, you know, that uh, a true repentance would have. So I, I think that was what I was in earlier. Right. Didn't have the power from the heart. It was just all head and go through the so motions. You were, you were learning those things. I mean, like on the surface, almost like checklist style. If I do this, 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 and this, I, I guess I'm covered, but that wasn't really resonating in your heart. I, I just got to relate a little bit with you on this because when I was a young boy and, uh, and we've got Catholic listeners, so I can say this. So growing up in the Catholic church, we had uh, the confessional, and they don't do it quite like that anymore, but I'd have to go into this tiny little confessional and the priest couldn't see me and I couldn't see the priest, but he could hear me. And we had to confess our sins, quote, air quotes, confess. And so typically you didn't want to be embarrassed by your sinful behavior. So you would lie in the confessional about what you did or didn't do. <laughs> so, so I totally get what you're talking about. If it's not really from the, from the heart, uh, there's not true repentance. There's not a whole, a whole lot of grace that's going to become flowing our way. So what happened? So what happened after that? You're, you're in this place of coming to this awareness that um, you're your practices of going before the church and confessing isn't really connecting deeply within you. So where did it go from there? Well, I think what I sort of saw and what I learned, this was not a way to live with victory because the law was difficult. It was oppressive. And the church had created a Christian law, you know, so to speak. It was a new law. It was a pharisaical approach. And I, I didn't know it so much at the time as upon reflection and looking back, I was living an impossible life the way God did not want us to live. He had, he had come to deliver us from the impossible life of 
being able to be righteous in his sight, in our own and on our own and in our own merits, even though I believed that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit were empowering me to do it, the reality was I didn't have the power to, to, to live this perfect life. So it felt defeated, defeated for a long, long time until, you know, various circumstances came in my church and in my family. So that when I looked around, I said, you know, what this church is more about is what in the military we call window dressing. And window dressing is something that looks good on the surface. So it's about looking good, not necessarily about being good. Mm-hmm. And I later learned that there were people who were living double lives, all kinds of things were going on at the church that I wasn't aware of at the time. I found out later. And even my parents struggled with how to live in this way. Also, there are a lot of rules. Like, for let me give an example of some rules. Women could not wear pants. We um, certainly didn't dance. You wouldn't smoke. You didn't drink. And it was all about what you didn't do rather than who you are, what you would be, which would then flow into how you acted. So it was kind of like Christianity from the outside in rather than from the inside out. Right, right. And that can be so destructive. Um, Tell us a little bit, and you're the oldest of four children. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your home life and your parents. And um, I understand, you know, you guys all went to this this rule-based church. Um, But tell us a little bit about the unfolding of your family life and how that um, had an impact on on who you are today as well. My parents were actually, they're, they're wonderful people, wonderful people. They were leaders in the church. My father was the treasurer of the church, very trustworthy, very honest person, even to this day. He taught the adult Sunday school class for years. And part of one part of my memory that I just love and really appreciate is that every week I would study with him, the adult Sunday school curriculum, we'd study the Bible. And so I had a deep Bible knowledge, even as a child, because I studied with him from a very young and a very early age. And so those were some of the roles. Later, after I was grown and gone, and he moved to another church with a similar kind of a background, he became an elder in the church as well. So he had that leadership role. My mother, and, and this church did not believe in women really in leadership roles of the church. So if you were a woman, you could lead women or you could lead children, but not mixed groups and not men. And so my mother was a teacher for adult women and also teen girls. And she didn't teach every week on a regular basis, like on like in Sunday school, but there would be special events. And she had a Tuesday night class that she used to teach. So they both were pillars of the church. They both were well-respected. Our family was well-respected. We were just considered just decent salt of the earth kind of people, a part of uh, the church community. My brothers and sisters, we were all, you know, in it together. And I remember when our family would go out to dinner and the waiters and waitresses would say, what lovely children you have and how well behaved. Now, of course, we were crazy at home, but we <laughs> learned to, you know, our parents had taught us how to behave in public, which we certainly honored, but we had a lot of freedom at home. And, and that was great because we knew children who couldn't play with their own toys when they wanted to and things like that, who couldn't speak up and say what, what was on their heart and mind. We could always speak in our home. We always had freedom 
And therefore, we could be wild in the house if we wanted to. It was just that in public, though, you you had to stand for the Wilson name, which we did. You know? Children are to be seen and not heard was what I was brought up with. Oh, no, we didn't have that. We could talk and you could have your own views on opinions awesome. and all of that, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. So that part of the upbringing was really good. And what part of the country did you live in? What state? I lived in Baltimore. Baltimore. In Baltimore. Maryland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. And um, your parents... Um, they had, uh, they went through a divorce from what I understand. So let's talk about the impact of that and how that has, you know, really made an impact even today for for you. My parents' divorce was a heartbreaking circumstance and, and situation in our family. And I would say the family never totally healed or recovered from their divorce. And I think one of the reasons it was so difficult is because we were in this church. And that was certainly not an outcome that would be expected, you know, for people who were loving God and following God and so on and so forth. And so I think that it took a long time to just process that and understand a little bit from both my mother's perspective and my father's perspective, a little bit about what happened. But I remember trying to encourage my parents. This happened when I was in in college that they got divorced. And so I talked to them about going to counseling or doing some things to try to repair the marriage because the way I could see it and understood it, they had a lot of good things going for them. They just needed some help. And it wasn't a marriage that had to break up and be in divorce Although they didn't go to counseling, they didn't get help. They did go to the minister of the church. I saw then that that was not helpful. It did not make a difference for them that was positive. I don't think the right things were said or done. I said, wow, so where is the church when you have a crisis Mm -hmm. in your life? And then there's kind of like a you become marked. I guess I would say, Mm -hmm. is almost Mm -hmm. like a little bit of an outcast when something like that happens. Now, in my case, since I was in college, I wasn't home to really experience it as much in the home church, but I think it was harder for my siblings who were still at home. Mm -hmm. So you are seeing life one way, um, but it isn't adding up for you, especially because of the context of being in a, in a church and a, and a Christian family. So uh, what happened in, within yourself that you came to this place of wanting something different, that you wanted an authenticity in your relationship with the Lord that would be different than all the things that you saw sort of lived out in front of you that didn't seem to be working. Were there certain events that led up to a revelation, a decision? Yeah, how did or, that transpire? Yeah. I wish I could say to you that, oh yes, I was seeking this authentic relationship. I was on this quest and it really happened like that. But what really happened was I was, I feel as though my life has followed the Bible in this way. I was, I was the Israelites, you know, coming out of bondage from Egyptian slavery. I was in the wilderness, you know, and you know, getting to the sort of like the promised land, but the Messiah hadn't come yet. And then the Messiah comes and then I hear the real good news and so on and so forth. However, it was not something that I could even do because I think what God wanted to show me is I really couldn't do it. So Mm -hmm. I came to a point where I, I used to keep a journal and I would write 
Psalms in there, my version of Psalms, that they would be my personal Psalms and about my life. And I remember one that was one of the last ones I wrote in the book with something like, okay, God, I'm tired of trying to find you and to chase you. If you really are serious, then you'll have to find me. And then I went through a phase where I kind of left what I knew and went into a no man's land. So the years I was in the army, you know, we had, we wear dog tags and the dog tags have your name on it. They have, you know, your social security number, various things and your, and your religious preference. And mine said no preference on it all the Mm. years that I was in the military because I was in that lost zone. Because the thing you have to understand about the church that I grew up in, if you left that church, that was equivalent to leaving God. Nobody else was considered a Christian except for them. And so all of my brothers, I have two brothers and a sister. We all went through a period where what we knew was too oppressive and so we left and spent a time in, in kind of a wilderness land. And in the wilderness, I believe that God was purging me mm-hmm. from the things I had learned from the past that it was like, Good. okay, you got to leave the Egyptian gods behind and you've got to learn how to follow me. But that wasn't an overnight process, nor did I know at the time that that's what I was doing. But I really believe that had to be purged out before he could pour something new yeah. in. Wow. Yeah. Almost that sounds is, more like a cult on some sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you, you saw these religious practices and you thought that was the way to get there. But I, I just got to pause for something that you said that really struck me. And that, the, the way in which you put this back in God's hands, it's like, okay, God, I've done all this to try to find you. It's your turn. Come find me. <laughs> I mean, I love that. I've never heard anybody put it that way. It. So seriously, would you advise others to do that same thing if they feel like stuck, like I'm doing all the things I thought was right, I'm chasing after God, I don't really know him. So God, if you want to know me, come get me. Well, I don't know that I would necessarily advise someone to say that per se, but here's what I would say. God does want us to know him. And he's real clear about that. So people can just know that the heart of God is to embrace us and to surround us and to have us in his presence. I just didn't know that. And I was searching and not finding him. And it seemed to me that he was not looking for me. It seemed to me, even after I said that, that he said, okay, if you feel like that, then I'll just abandon you to yourself. Now he wasn't really doing that, but it felt that way. And I thought that's what was happening. And Wendy, it's interesting you mentioned cult because I had not considered my upbringing as a cult at all. But in the late 70s, I was watching the Jim Jones movies that came on about the people who went to Guyana and lost their lives down there in South America following this cult leader. It was a multi-night series on television. And I was not a TV person. I watched every episode Mm. because I saw elements in what he was doing that reminded me of how I was raised. Mm. And I was shocked. And I was like, oh, I never knew that or I didn't consider it. 
And maybe it fell short of being a true cult, but it had elements of a cult-like type experience. Sure, sure. And I think right now, Dr. Uh, Karen, you are, you're speaking to someone that is listening, thinking, you know, because sometimes we're, we're just you can't see the the forest through the trees, right? Like you're so close to it. You can't really tell what you're in until you're out of it. And that's what you experienced. Yeah. And, um, and someone might just need to take a step back and see, am I in the right space? Am I in a, a good, solid Bible believing church that really believes in, and um, not just works, but faith and the whole old Testament and new Testament and that there's grace. I mean, all of it. And so um, it gives someone an opportunity to um, to step back and see that. And, and I think um, it's beautiful that you kind of force that issue upon yourself in a way so that you could discover God. And I think some people are feeling the same way that um, where, where are you, God? And so would you what would you say to that person that is feeling that way? Where are you, God? What would you say would be their next step to take? Uh, for them. And I know it's maybe personal for everybody, but I'm just curious if you have a next step. You know, I think about what the Bible says. It says, if God says, if you search for me with your whole heart, you will find me. Hmm. And so I think there's a matter of really realizing what is wholeheartedness. Hmm. It's not hmm. just coming with your mind and your head. It's coming with your whole being, your, your thoughts, your heart, your soul. You know, when Jesus was saying, you know, the greatest commandment, you love God with everything, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And I had not learned to do that. Yet I would say that that's God's promise. If we search for him with our whole heart, just stand on that promise. You, he will be found by you because he's not hiding. That's right. He wants to be found and he wants to find us. (laughs) And so I think a person can move in confidence that that's who God is and get there in a, in, in probably a faster and a, in a better way than the route I had to go to finally get there. And, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a piece to the story of how I, I finally got there too. Oh, that's so good. And don't you think, um, you know, finding God and looking for him with your whole heart is a surrender. Absolutely. Right? It's, a, it's a surrender. And then that's when your whole heart is open. You yeah. know, let me build on that, Wendy. That is so profound because yes, it's a surrender and it's a realization, as Jesus said, that he truly is our Sabbath rest. Yes. Because now I'm striving and working and doing all this stuff. And yet, you know, Jesus has done all the work and he wants me to rest in him. Well, I hadn't been taught that. I didn't know that. I didn't understand what that meant for him to be the Sabbath rest. It's good. That is beautiful. Uh, listen, listen, I want to pick up on your story because I think you left off. You're in the army. You're you're in the wilderness. <laughs> you're moving your way through that. Uh, so take us to the next step. What what occurred uh, during that period of time for you that progressed you forward? And let me say this, during the wilderness years, though I was not a regular church attender and I was not a member of a church, I did attend churches periodically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I did. I, I even attended churches of the same background as the one I grew up in. I attended other churches along the way. And when my husband-to-be, he and I were stationed at West Point in New York. And while we were stationed there, we went to the Cadet Chapel, which was a very different faith model them. It was more maybe 
very high church. I'd say kind of like something Episcopalian-ish maybe. And that was frightening to me because the, 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 I guess it was a priest would come down the aisle carrying this big pole and the, the organ pipe would be, you know, playing. It was like a horror movie. So, and it didn't have the connection that I was interested in. Yeah. I would see people who I worked with and you would go to church. They wouldn't even speak. I said, what kind of church is this? Now, the church I came from was much more friendly, family kind of oriented. I was not accustomed to, oh, you go to church and you're having a private experience together in a building and you don't speak to people you know. And I thought that was weird. And so I knew that wasn't the place I was going to land. But <laughs> but God was speaking to me in the churches that I visited. I heard excellent you know, Bible messages and Baptist churches and various things. And so my husband and I, well, first we met at West Point, and then we decided that we would get married. Mm-hmm. He was living, he moved to Germany. He was living in Germany. I was still at West Point. We found, so this was the first little wrinkle. We couldn't find anyone to marry us because I wanted to get married in Baltimore back. I knew I could not get married in my home church because they would consider him an unbeliever. So I knew that was out. So I went to Baltimore multiple times. And I searched for churches and I searched for Baptist churches since he was Baptist. None of the Baptist churches would marry us because we were not a member of their church. And so, and I went church after church after church. And finally, I went back to to my husband, Greg, and I said, you know what? Why don't we just, you know, get married at a a facility instead of a church, you know, some, you know, uh, a hall that does these kinds of things, because I have gone pillar to post you know, I needed a church big enough because we were having a big wedding and it was a military wedding. And all the big churches I went to, nope, we're not going to marry. You can't get married here. Even uh-huh. though I said my husband's Baptist, didn't matter. So my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, she says, I explained the dilemma to her. And she says, well, what are you looking for? I said, we need a church to hold this many people. We need this. We need that. And she said, okay, let me work on it. She found the church. It was the perfect place. It was Methodist. The minister was outstanding and he was just a gift. And Mm. and, and it taught me, it was like, how many people get turned away Mm. before they even know God yet? And in the everyday things of life, you won't even partner with them, won't even help them. And what damage that could possibly do. So all of that showed me that the, I'd say the separation that's in Christianity and Christendom today. So that was one part of it, that it was a a wake up call. And then of course, in our early years of marriage, we attended church together and all of this, but at some point God called me (laughs) to a different church and experience. So we moved to Colorado and we had just gotten here. I was on a circuit going to the bank on the military base. I was going to the gas station, going to the grocery store. I didn't see anything unusual at the bank. When I went to the gas station, a man, you have to move your, you're supposed to move your car after you pump your gas so other people can come and, you know, pump gas in their cars. Most people didn't do it. I moved my car. So this man said to me, oh, thank you for moving your car because, you know, most people don't do that. Well, then he says, well, at a point, he said, let me give you my business card. I thought he was an insurance salesman or something. I didn't even look at it right away. Then I got in the car, looked at it, and it said he was a minister of a church. I was like, oh, 
that's interesting. So I go on to the grocery store. When I get to the grocery store, I'm coming around the corner this way. He comes around the corner this way. We ran into each other at the door of the grocery store. Uh-huh. And so we both started laughing. And then he says, you know what? The Holy Spirit told me to speak to you when I saw you at the bank. Now, I didn't see him at the bank, but he saw me. Uh-huh. And he said, but I didn't do it. So when I saw you at the gas station, I spoke to you. Now I'm seeing you at the grocery store. I know I'm supposed to speak to you. And so he asked me if we had a church. I said, no, we just moved here. He says, well, I'm the pastor of you know King Solomon Baptist Church. Come to our church for 30 days. And if you like it, stay. If you don't like it, you can go, you know, whatever, and just participate in the life of the church. While I'm talking to him, my husband drives by going to what they call the PX on the military base. And this was unusual too. I said, oh, there's my husband driving by. And so that all happened. Long story, much, much shorter. We went to that church. We're still there. We've never left. So he said that he just happened to see at the bank and happened to see at the gas station. He was following you. (laughs) He was just like God. He was after you. Yeah, no, it's good to get to your church. Dr. What he said was the Holy Spirit. uh, Totally. Totally. Exactly. Which is what is so fascinating about your story, because, you know, you had every opportunity in the world to become cynical and bitter and resentful Turn away. towards yeah. anything that you perceive to be, quote, Christian. And for whatever reason, and we know the reasons because God had chosen you, um, you decided instead to keep going forward and not to let all these other things really, which were, um, let's say, traps that the devil was setting for you to try to capture you and keep you. And you just continue to go forward. So God planted something in you that kept driving you forward to have more of him. That's a fascinating story just to show again, just God in his sovereignty, arranging the circumstances to make sure, okay, she wanted me to come get her. I got her now. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, at the time, I didn't know that that's what was happening. He was bringing me to a church that really understood the message of grace, Mm. which I did not understand. He was bringing me to a church that operated a little differently with respect to the Holy Spirit than what I was accustomed to. It was hard for me to be at that church because sometimes people would start shouting and stuff. And of course, back home, that was not permitted. That was not allowed. And probably if people did that, they might have been escorted out of the church building. <laughs> and so it, it was not comfortable. And I remember one of the associate ministers who we're still really good friends with today, who's actually a pastor now of another church. I used to talk to him frequently. I said, you know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. I'm going to have to get up out of this church. There's something weird about these people. And no matter how many times I said that, God kept me there. I kept learning. I kept growing. And then finally understanding the the profound nature of his grace. Wow, beautiful. And is that what you have just really learned on your journey. I mean, I love how God, first of all, has equipped you as a leader because you were in a home full of leaders and you're, you're leading people today in such beautiful ways um, in their, in their corporate um, positions, but also leading them to understand and know Jesus, because you do know both yeah. sides, you yeah. know, the law and you know, the grace and um, you can speak with great authority. So what have you learned most on your journey through all of this? I've learned that there really is good news. I've learned that you cannot live a godly life apart from 
the Holy Spirit apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and that unless you rest in him, there is no good news. Mm -hmm. And yet the good news is that he's paid the price for the rest. It's available to us. We can cease, you know, from our fruitless works, our fruitless labors, because it's not those works and labors that save us anyway. We are saved unto good works, not saved by the works. That was freeing for me to understand that, first of all. And then secondly, that God has people everywhere. I grew up in a church that said they only exist in our particular group. And I, there are churches that I don't necessarily agree with their doctrine. There are things in my church I don't necessarily agree with the doctrine or whatever. However, even if the church is not a hundred percent doctrinally sound, there are believers in those churches. And I have met them over the years and seen the the profound abundance of God in saving people in so many places. Mm-hmm. So good. Dr. Karen, you have, uh, you've experienced, you know, true freedom in Christ. There's no, just no doubt about that. You have an intimacy with the Lord Jesus. Uh, you, uh, you are acquainted with the workings of the Holy spirit and that can become very enviable and very desirable by, by other people who want that, but trying to get that, you know, sometimes puts people in a position of then becoming religious, thinking, well, okay, if I do this, I check that, but then I'll have what Dr. Karen has. Can you maybe just give a little guidance to how do we get to that place of intimacy? How do we experience that freedom in Christ without having to go through a whole checklist of do's and don'ts? You know, I think understanding that God has a purpose for your life And if I can even go all the way back to my childhood, I see the purpose unfolding even where I was. I mean, I was a leader too. I was, I taught, you know, children in vacation Bible school. I, you know, gave speeches on things pertaining to the word of God. My father said that if I was not in that church, he thought I would actually be a minister of a church. And so that's, that was how I was wired and and being groomed and, and growing up. And so I would say, Know that God has a purpose for you and everything you experience, even the bad things, even the Mm -hmm. things that seemed like, oh, these were the things that happened in the wilderness. They're all part of that journey and part of that purpose. So if we are connected to him through, I'd say, prayer and Bible reading and getting to know him intimately He is the one that's the vine dresser. He will grow us. He will grow us in the soil that he has planted us in. He will water us. He will fertilize us. He will prune us. Whatever he needs to do, the plant doesn't grow itself. God does it. Well, what uh, deeper levels are you looking forward to experiencing with just our supernatural, amazing Heavenly Father? You know, um, my great aunt and and all of my relatives, like aunts, uncles, grandparents, great aunts and uncles are all deceased, except I have one great aunt um, remaining. I went to, she used to live in LaBelle, Florida. When she lived there, I went to visit her and she was a member of the Catholic church. There were three churches in town. She was a member of the Catholic church. She was a regular visitor of the Baptist church. And she was a regular visitor of the Assembly of God Church. Mm -hmm. So while I was there, we went to the Baptist Church. 
Then the Assembly of God Church was having a revival. We went to the revival several nights, experienced the presence of God in a profound way at that church through the, the, the music, which was not even the kind of music, Christian music I would listen to, but it, it just touched my soul. The speaking, they had a guest speaker from out of town. He was phenomenal. And I, I knew the presence of God was in that place in a way that I'd never seen before. And I'd always been attracted to authors like D.L. Moody, Andrew mm-hmm. Murray, because they had this deeper something. So after that, I started, whenever I traveled on business, I would mm-hmm. visit an Assembly of God church. And I had the same experience in every one of those churches. Mm-hmm. And there's one in North Carolina that I've gone back back and forth to over and over again when I was working there. So what I I believe is that there is something very profound about that's happening at the supernatural level of the Holy Spirit of God that I've heard about, been learning about, and been exposed to, and maybe deeper, somehow that's going to manifest in a different way in the future. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. But I know that the things that God has planted from way back, like I'll give you an example, maybe 30 years ago, he planted a seed in my mind about prayer. I didn't know why prayer was so important. And all these resources he would send me and they would be so profound and I'd send them to everybody. I know. And now I'm the prayer ministry leader at our church, which I never would have imagined because I think what was missing out of my home church, emphasis on prayer. So he's putting these other things in front of me, what he's going to mm. do with it. I don't know. However, I'm waiting to see. <laughs> you know, I, I think you're you're maybe scratching some itches uh, among our listening audience because I think most of us wish we could be further down the road, want to be further down the road, want to have that deeper level of intimacy. So thank you that that we're not alone in that. <laughs> thank you that you're out there also kind of helping to lead the way. Uh, listen, before we let you go, this has been just, just so good. Uh, and I Very wish rich. we could get more into the whole the leadership thing that you're involved in. I do want to ask you though, based on all of your experiences in developing this intimate relationship with the Lord, how is that, how has God used that to sort of overlay into your professional career and what you're doing with the leaders that you're mentoring and teaching? So what are you taking from that? How is that, how is God using that to overlay those principles? I have really been called, I believe, to be a marketplace ministry leader. That's what I'm about. And I'm speaking to people who I believe are called to be marketplace ministry leaders. And the whole concept is God has us as lights in his world. We are lights here and he needs lights, not just in the church building. He needs lights everywhere on this planet, including the workplace. And that's what he's given me a heart for. So when I started my company, Trans Leadership, which stands for Leadership Transformations, and it's based on Romans 12, too, about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, the, I knew that my business was a God-given business. Mm-hmm. And there were people who tried to join with it, partner with it. No, this is God's business. You're, you, I'm not going to be unequally yoked with you, <laughs> even yeah. in the business sense, uh-huh. Okay. And so I I had a a vision from the beginning that if this, this, this business would be more of a ministry. Now, in the early years, it didn't look as much like that. And in more recent years, it's come full circle. And my best friend, who's 
89 years old now. She's watched the company grow over the last almost 30 years. And she's seen how it has been more of what God had given me Mm. the vision of, but hadn't manifested at the beginning. Mm. So, you know, I've worked with all kinds of leaders. Mostly I've enjoyed working with values-based leaders. And I feel now it's time to work specifically with Christian-based leaders more exclusively. Mm. Not that I won't work with others, but that's, that's the target market. Your mission to uh, building the kingdom, Dr. Karen. So yeah. we yes. appreciate all the yeah. wisdom that you have and all the experience that you can bring forth uh, to do just that. So we want to wrap up. And those of you listening, if you want to learn more about Dr. Karen, go to uh, transleadership.com and you'll find out more there. But just we'll to kind of the show notes, too. yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but I want to just wrap this up with a fun question. Is there something, Dr. Karen, that maybe Uh people don't know about you that's very eccentric or you've got a certain hidden talent or something that you might want to share just for fun? The things about me that are unusual and eccentric, most people actually know because they're visible. So, but yet I will explain them a little bit. I wear flowers in my hair most days. And they are Hawaiian flowers because I'm bringing the aloha spirit to everything that I'm doing. And that's really what these leaders are doing in the workplace. They're bringing the Christ spirit into the workplace. They're transforming it for a culture for God, whether the people are are Christians or not. I love to go on my international travels and collect clothing as my wearable art. Now, I'm not wearing one of those things today. However, I I sometimes will show up to work in an Indian sari. I might wear uh, an outfit from West Africa. And people know that I do this. And everything has a story. The clothes have a story. The jewelry has a story. And I tell the cultural story and what it means to me. And often, I'm always you know representing my two main identities, which is African-American and Native American. And so some, the, sometimes when I'm not wearing a flower, it's because I have on a full African hair wrap. And then other times I may have on my Native American headband and I might have on some African earrings. So I mix it up and I'm, I love people. I love people of all cultures and backgrounds. And I, I'm a global person. I feel that God has called me into a global ministry in the workplace. That is so cool. And yes, you are. And not only do you love people, they love you. And we certainly love you, Dr. Karen. So thank you very much for being on your biggest breakthrough and sharing uh, your biggest breakthrough from uh, religion to understanding the love and the depth of Christ. So thank you so much for being on this show and we'll catch you next time. All right. Blessings. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a fun show. You know, honestly, um, I just love all of our guests and it's like, it just never gets old. She's so refreshing. Uh, If you, you, I wish you could see this on, we've got the YouTube version. Maybe you're watching it there. Go see it. I mean, she's a flower in her hair. Yeah. She's a piece of art. She really is. She's Uh, absolutely stunning. I've I've seen her on several occasions and there's always a flower in her hair. Yeah. Uh, But she does wear these, um, these gowns that are very beautiful and they're they're flowing and they're artistic yeah. and she does all of that just to kind of help spread the the joy of various cultures yeah it's i awesome. think that's pretty cool that is that is unique and uh wonderful well she did have something that she wanted to leave our audience yeah. and we can put this in the show notes as well but um this is for it's a leadership tool and i and she didn't want you to think okay just if if 
you can only get this if you're a leader in your corporate setting. No, we are leaders in our family. We're leaders in community. So I think this would help anyone. But if you go to transleadership.com slash positive, you'll be able to get the think model. And it's a free resource to encourage people to think about their work differently. And so again, it might be your work around the house. It Mm -hmm. might be Mm -hmm. uh, your work in the community. So get that leadership tool. I think it will bless you. And it's based around the acronym of think. What do you think? Well, (laughs) I'm, I'm thinking that I'd like to go back and listen to this again, because uh, she shared some things that I think we all really need to be reminded of. And, you know, in some occasions for the first time, you're, you're hearing that there is a, that there's something waiting for you. That's different than what you're currently experiencing, that, that God really truly does want you to know him and that he's very trustworthy and that he has a purpose for you. And that you do not have to keep going through this, this rigorous, religious, pharisaical effort to try to know God. Yeah. He's it's gone way ahead of you, and his grace is very real. And I just want to encourage you to, to dig deeper, to trust God, and to say, God, come get me. I want to know you more intimately. That's awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to your biggest breakthrough. I uh, hope you will follow us uh, and share this episode with others. And uh, God bless. We'll catch you next time. Bye. So glad you could join us today. And you'll find a new episode every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've been encouraged by listening or viewing, would you just take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a quick review? That'd be so awesome. Yeah. And also please share this with your friends and loved ones. If you have comments or questions, or if you're looking for an advertising opportunity, please get in touch with us at yourbiggestbreakthrough.com. Or if you'd like to optimize your health and wellness, you can work directly with Wendy. Go to wendypat.com. Or if you're a guy and you're interested in mentoring and coaching, go to toddisburner.com. We look forward to having you join us on our next episode of Your Biggest Breakthrough.